So we fix our eyes, not on things we can see, but on things we cannot see. For the things that we can see will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This is the word of the Lord. What a word. One of the most interesting studies done in neuroscience in the last 15 years involved a physician, a medical doctor from the country of Africa known only in literature as TN. In 2004, he suffered a stroke and lost his, uh, that, that affected the visual cortex of his brain. So he lost half of his field of vision in an instant. Everything on the left was gone and all that remained was from here peripherally. The situation lasted about 36 days and rather than reverse itself, which sometimes it does, it repeated itself. And another stroke occurred on the other hemisphere of the brain almost exactly like the first one and it knocked out his vision completely. Now sometimes when a person loses their vision, they don't lose it all. They're still able to tell, for instance, light from darkness or they can read words as long as they're as big as a barn. But when T.N. lost his vision, he couldn't even see the barn, lost everything. When this happened, a series of tests were done. And the first thing they did was to test his actual eyes. And what they discovered is that while he had lost his vision, the eyes themselves were functioning the same as usual. So in other words, he was looking at something and his eyes were seeing it, and yet his brain was not perceiving the information that his eyes had seen. Does that make sense? The eyes were gathering data. The brain was not processing it. What they tell us is that while I look at you, my eyes are receiving all kinds of data, over a million bits of information per second. The trouble is that my brain can only perceive about 50 to 60 bits per second, and so the brain is able to take everything I'm seeing, filter it out, and then present to my mind, my conscious mind, a picture of what I see, and that becomes my reality. Are you still with me? So they thought they would do some tests because they're physicians and that's what physicians do. And the first thing they did was to put a, a laptop in front of TN with pictures, images, spheres, triangles, squares, black on a white background and asked if he could tell us what they were. He guessed. He was right 50% of the time. They weren't Surprise! That's about what you would guess if you were completely blind. Couldn't see anything. Or visually impaired. You wouldn't be able to do it either. So then they put a series of faces in front of him and asked him to tell whether the face was happy or sad and so forth. And again, he guessed and he got about 50% of them right. And then they thought they would try something else. They, 
They designed an obstacle course. I know this sounds really cruel. They took a person who had completely lost his perception. He hadn't lost his vision. He'd lost his perception. And they asked him to try to maneuver an obstacle course. Give us your cane, they said, and walk down this corridor. And the corridor, by the way, before you go, is lined with boxes and stacks of paper. There's a garbage can. But he can't consciously see all of these things. And after some coaxing, he gave them his cane. And he proceeded to walk down the corridor. And you guys, he perfectly maneuvered around every obstacle that was there, even though he could see none of them. Consciously. Physicians were amazed. How is it that a person is able to respond to stimulus that he cannot see? It gave rise to a science which is now called blindsight, which, which is the ability to respond to stimuli that we cannot see, that we are blind to, and yet we will react to it. Someone write blindsight challenges the common belief that perceptions must enter the consciousness in order to affect our behavior. It shows that our human behavior can be guided by sensory information of which we have no conscious awareness. Now, faith is a blind sight. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But it's still evidence. Faith is the capacity to maneuver down the corridor of this life responding perfectly to things that we cannot visually see. But we know are there because we have been told. That's enough for one day, but we're just getting started. If you've been in our church for more than 10 years, take about a two-minute siesta. I want to catch the rest of us up. One of the things that we talk about in our church is the kingdom of heaven and what the kingdom of heaven really is. And sometimes we think of heaven as being a land that is far away. So when we die, we go up. But what if heaven is not really far away? What if it's right next to our head? What if it is another sphere, another dimension, another realm that runs parallel to the only realm you have ever seen, but it's just as real as the realm that you are in right now? If this is true, then you would expect Jesus to say things like, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and then promptly disappear in the ascension. Which, by the way, is exactly what he did. He went away, and then he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How can this be? Because, said Paul, he is not far from any one of us. 
So the idea of God being far away in his heaven while we are down on earth changes when you think of the kingdom of heaven as being another dimension that runs right next to the dimension you and I are in. So when the writer of Hebrews said, we are encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses, the Hebrew or the Greek word that he uses literally means to be standing or sitting amidst the witnesses. The word does not mean people, we're on the field and the witnesses are in the grandstands. It means the witnesses are on the field all around you and you are surrounded by them. Therefore, to pray is not to project one's thoughts to the heavens, but simply to speak to one who is alive in real time right next to your head. To die may not be to go up. It may be to go over. All right, now you're all caught up to speed. Are you tracking? Or are you completely delirious by now? If this is true, then maybe faith is the discipline of hearing regularly from that world. While everybody you live next to only hears from this one. Maybe faith, maybe faith is the capacity to live in this world as though everything from that world were true. Maybe faith is really not heroic at all. Maybe faith is simply believing what is ultimately true. It's everything else that becomes thin or shallow. So the call is to live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the hypostasis. Faith is the actual substance or reality of the thing hoped for. The thing hoped for is not out in front of you it is already in you. It is your living reality. And it is the evidence, the internal evidence of things no one else can see. But you see them. Are you still with me? Or are you getting ready to check out? And so when Hagar is alongside the road running away in Genesis 21, she sits down and after the last bit of water is gone, 
She says, I can't watch the boy die. I'll sit here until we both die. And the Lord heard her, listened to it, and she opened her eyes and saw well. It is already there. He didn't make it. It is already there. And Elisha came out of his tent, and the servant said to Elisha, We're in trouble, because he looked up in the mountains, and it was surrounded by the Aramean army. And Elisha said to the servant, Those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And the servant had no idea what he was talking about. Then Elisha just said, O oh Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And you know the story, don't you? The Lord opened his eyes, and when he looked to the mountains, there was the army of God all around the Arameans. And the servant said, and this is my translation, we'll be fine. And Saul went dead blind. In to be touched by Ananias in Acts chapter 9. Couldn't see a thing, you guys. And when Ananias laid his hands on him, it says scales fell from his eyes and he could see. And what did he see? I, my conjecture, this is my own theology. He saw things as they really are. He saw the world in the way that God sees it. So that he could look at the same situation we look at and see something entirely different like the armies of God. And so Paul would write later in Ephesians chapter 1, watch the language. He says, I pray for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be opened so that you may see the hope to which He has called you. Church, there are so many things happening that you cannot see. Not with your eyes. There is a reality in a kingdom that runs on entirely different principles. And nothing in the world that you live in is like this kingdom. And it could be that the call to faith is a call to accept the reality of this kingdom. How are we doing? Where on earth would you find people like this? Because truthfully, most of the people that I know, I mean, even good people, religious people, are not governed this way. They see the same thing everybody else sees and they respond to what everybody else responds to. It sounds negative. I usually I ought to be, say, be positive, be positive. <laughs> so that when they are in a situation, they are as easily overwhelmed by the situation as everybody else. And you ask yourself, come on, man, we are people of faith. How can we be living in this situation and be overrun by the same reality if we are people of another reality? 
Jacques Delol says, we, we have more security than ever and we are less secure. We are more afraid of tomorrow. We consume more than ever and we are terrified of want. We know more than ever and yet we are afraid of what we do not know. Our jobs have become easier and yet we are bored with our jobs and we seek novelty. He says this is a crisis of faith. And so I imagine an army of people, the people of God, going into the world around them and living out the life of another dimension in front of people who are anxious and afraid so that they don't just think things will be better someday. They believe things are already better. Because even though those people are in charge, God is in control. And because they deeply believe this, they live differently. So we picked up Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's this like hall of fame, right? You know this great chapter that has all these great characters in the Old Testament. These people that lived way long ago in the Old Testament. And we started looking at these names and we started saying, well, what did these people do? How did they model this faith that we're supposed to possess we discovered lots of things. In fact, we'll talk about these things in the next few weeks over the summer together. All preachers from College Church will each take a turn grabbing one of the characters. Steve talked about Rahab last week, who was in one example in Hebrews 11, a person who had faith. And because she had faith, she did things that you never would do in another world. You only do them if you believe in this one. We noticed that a lot of these people were older, not all of them young. We noticed that every one of them were in a situation that they could not control. And every one of them heard something from God. In most cases, it was a revelation. And in most cases, it was hard to believe. And in every case, they had to let go. Let me say that in slow motion. They had to let go of what they already knew in order to believe something different. And when they believed it, it changed their life. And my friend, it can change ours. And as I just said, some of our lives need changing. One of the things that we noticed about faith as it occurs in this chapter is that faith is not simply uh, the invitation into the Christian life Faith is the life itself. Faith is the life itself. What he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 is, He will come and he will not delay, and the just will live by faith. The just will live by faith. He does not say the just will have faith. He says the just live by it. They breathe it. It's their blood. It's their food. It's this fuel that propels the righteous people through this life is this fuel called faith. And so faith isn't simply something we do in order to get into the Christian life and become a Christian. Faith is the very life itself. 
<clears throat> See, Luther messed this up for us. Bless his heart. He used Romans 1.17 for the just shall live by faith and treated it as though it were a threshold that one steps over in order to enter the relationship with Jesus Christ. Heidelberg Catechism, Luther says, the law says, do this, and it is never done. Faith says, believe this, and behold, everything is done already. But you see, the big thing was, by believing in what Christ has done, faith, if you will, I enter the Christian life. And what we're learning is, we're just getting started. That is not just the door into Christianity. Faith is Christianity. In fact, I would even argue that the faith that it took to accept Jesus as your Savior is small potatoes next to the faith it will take after that. You want to see faith... It's when you eat all your manna tonight because you believe there's more coming tomorrow. See, it was pretty easy for me to ask Jesus to forgive my sins. I didn't have any options. It's not like I had a better plan. So it didn't require as much faith as it did common sense. You say, well, what if it was wrong? I was dead anyway. It's the way that you were too. But when you put water on an altar and douse it with more water, and you step back and you tell the prophets of Baal, now you watch this. That's faith. Because if it doesn't go well, you don't look real good in that moment. Faith is when you build a boat and it hasn't rained for years. Are you see what I'm talking about? It requires an enormous amount of trust in a person. So, so faith is not simply what it takes to get into the kingdom. Faith is the kingdom itself. Our relationship with God is a covenant. It's a relationship. And so the most pure thing about it is not the morality of it. Listen closely, it's the relationship. If you are in a relationship with any person, it does not matter how moral you are if there is no trust. When the trust is gone, the relationship is gone. Trust or faith in the other person is the heart and soul of that relationship. So the thing that God is trying to do with us is not just clean us up so we act better. He's trying to pull us into a trusting relationship where he will say to us, believe this, and you'll believe it. He'll, he'll, he'll say, everything that you know works like this. This is what will probably happen. But here's what I'm asking you to believe. Will you do that? So faith is always a movement forward. The just live by it. They don't just have it. It isn't something we possess. 
It's a practice. And we practice it our whole lives. Our whole lives. Remember when you were kids, you had monkey bars? Remember that? They don't do that anymore because someone might get hurt. But back then, when kids were kids, uh, they had these horizontal ladders called monkey bars. And you'd climb up the side of them and you'd grab one, you'd grab onto that first bar and then you'd swing. And as you swung, you'd reach out and grab the next one. And as you grabbed the next one, you let go of the last one. Didn't you? Because if you didn't let go, <laughs> you're just hanging there. I could never do this well. In, and I learned it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't strength, it was technique. The people that were doing it always had their eyes on the one in front of them. Not me, man. I had my eyes on the ground. I'm thinking, you let go. You know what's going to happen. Or I had my eyes on the one I was holding on to. But these people that were good on monkey bars... They never really thought too much about the one they grabbed. They just grabbed it and then they swung to the next one and then their momentum carried them to the next one and then they went to the next one. They were having a lark. Some of us were just hanging on. Usually when you stop swinging and start clinging, you fall. This happens when one gets older. Because we don't like new things. And so what happens when you get older and you stop trusting new promises, your world gets really small. And you start getting afraid. You start worrying more about falling than you are about going forward. Okay, what I'm telling you all is, if your good died in the wool Christians, and you had faith to become a Christian, you have just gotten started. And I just say some of us haven't gone very far since we trusted Jesus to forgive our sins. We haven't gotten much farther than that. And so as a result, the platform of our lives has gotten smaller and smaller. Do we not know, do we not know that every time God calls us to do something that is too far to reach, but we do it because He has sent a promise out in front of us. It wasn't just an optimism in our heart. It was something God put in front of us. And we said, I can't do that. That's impossible. But you said I should do it. And it leads to the next thing. Do we not know that every time we do this, while a part of our old familiar life dies, something new and bigger and better and brighter opens up. And so faith is, faith is a lifelong discipline. 
You will practice it for the rest of your life. It will get harder, but you must continue to practice it. You must continue to hear the voice of God and do hard things. And God will lead you into a brighter and a better place. You must not be afraid. Sometimes when life is really hard for you, you withdraw from scriptures. That's what you say when I talk to you. You say, I'm sort of having a fight with Jesus right now, and so I can't read the Bible. But my friend, if faith is propelled by promises, that is the last thing you need to stop reading. Stop reading everything else. What you need is a word from God. And that doesn't come on CNN or Fox News. It comes in the Word. So if it feels to you like you're stuck, if it feels to you like life is really hard for you, as if God made promises and you don't have them yet and you want to just go on strike and say, ha, I'll teach him, I won't listen. (laughs) I've done it. Read him. And he will say things to you in the word that you can grab. And when you grab them and when you say they're true, even though I can't see it, God will bring you forward. Henry Nouwen, he tells a great story of a time when he was a young man, a young priest, and he was, uh, he was traveling with a group of trapeze artists called the Flying Roadlays. He, he said they gave him free tickets to their practices. They asked him out for dinner. They even said, do you want to go with us around Germany for one week? <laughs> young priest said, sure. Suppose you need a chaplain. So he went. He said he watched them swing just freely and graciously from one end of the trapeze to the other. They would let go, jump off the platform, fly through the air, somersault, hold out their arms, and be caught and brought to safety on the other platform. Had a conversation with him one time, and he said, Aren't you afraid? What if you fall? The artist said, As a flyer, I have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the great star of the show, but really the star is the catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second timing and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. The secret, he said, is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly, I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me and pull me up. Well, this seemed too easy for now. And so he said, wait a second. You're saying you don't do anything? You do nothing? The man said, I do nothing. Nothing. The worst thing I can do is to try to grab the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch the catcher. He's supposed to catch me. If I reach out to grab him, I might break his arms or he might break mine and that'd be the end of both of us. Then he said it. He said, no, a flyer must fly and a catcher must catch And the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him.
What a discipline. You are not catchers. You are flyers. You are not supposed to latch on to God. He's supposed to latch on to you. A lot can happen in between the time you let go of your rope and the time he catches you. Oh, a lot can happen. You can become afraid, and if you do this, you will pull back. You can become controlling and try to climb your way to the platform. You can become bitter and angry about all the stuff that didn't work out before for you. Or you can enjoy the flight, man. You can just enjoy it. You can say, I got a few seconds here in between the letting go and the being caught. And if you truly believe he'll catch you, you can have the time of your life. Some of you are somewhere in between letting go and getting caught. And you're afraid. If you weren't afraid, that'd be abnormal. But in spite of your fear, Hebrews and these characters that have faithfully clung to things they could not see encourage you to enjoy the flight. Just enjoy it. The only work you got to do is you got to be sure to let go. You have to let go. But once you do, he's got you. Please bow your heads. I'm going to ask people that have come prepared to help us serve communion this morning, please present yourselves to the table. And for the rest of the congregation, I want to frame, if I can, the way that you come to the table this morning. Sometimes I know you come thinking, this is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, and he has died for my sins, and my sins are forgiven. And you are right. There is a certain amount of faith in that, and you will need that faith in order to receive the sacraments this morning meaningfully. You will need to have at least that amount of faith. But I would like you this morning to come even more prepared than that and to say, what is it that God is asking me to believe that is hard for me to believe? What did God say? either recently or a long time ago, before I quit listening, before I stopped believing in it? What audacious thing did God say that maybe you have minimized over time because it still hasn't happened for you? You can trust Him. What is God calling you to let go of? And you're thinking to yourself, if I do, 
That will be my security or my pleasure. That is all I know. You can trust Him. What is God calling you to start that is too big for you? You couldn't do this. You don't have the resources. Some of you think you don't have the talent or the time. And if you do this, you'll compromise yourself. Listen, you can trust Him.